Our scripture reading today, <clears throat> excuse me, comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables saying, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. A sower went out to sow. The familiar story begins. You know, finding meaning in these familiar parables like the one today that we're going to look at, the story of the sower, and really even all the parables can be difficult. We know all the main players. We remember the storylines from Sunday school, from Bible school. Many of us can even recite a tidy little meaning for each parable. But the parables, like our faith, are not one-dimensional. And they shouldn't be limited to just one meaning just on the basis of familiarity. Faith is not like a piece of glass that has only one side. Michael has shared a couple of times an analogy, a metaphor that I really love. It's actually a Jewish metaphor that our faith is kind of like a multifaceted gemstone. You know, maybe on a ring that you're wearing. It's one gemstone, but if you look at it at different lights of the day, in the morning or at night, at different angles, you'll always see different things, different shimmers, different shines, different beauties in that same stone. Our faith is like that, and also the parables are like this. Just when we feel we've caught the message, it evades us. One of my favorite preachers, Barbara Brown Taylor, says it this way, Jesus' parables conceal his meaning even as they reveal it. He speaks in parables so that only those certain kinds of listeners can hear. Those who listen less with their minds and more with their hearts. To listen with the heart leads to this new and deeper meaning that we're able to find in a ritual that I think is known as wondering. Let's hear the parables then with fresh ears and fresh eyes as we travel through them this summer. Let's ask lots of questions as we'll do today. Let's wonder 
and be curious together. After all, it's Jesus himself that issues the challenge. As he sits in the boat in today's story, shouting to the lively crowd, listen. And once he finishes the story again, let those who have ears hear. Don't ever doubt the power of advertising because as Jesus continues to say this over and over in the parables, I'm reminded of that Verizon guy who I think jumped ship and went to T-Mobile. Can you hear me yet? Can you hear me now? Y'all know it's stuck in your head too. So my take on this story, and I'm a doubt I'm alone on this because I actually heard it from Melanie this morning and it, there's nothing wrong with it, is that the story has had little to do with the sower as much as it is about the soil. I've heard it preached, I've read it as a tidy little package tied up with a bow that we as the followers, we're the soil and we need to be better so that we can produce more. That is to say, we need to become better Christians so that we can live more fruitful lives in Christ. The story even often strikes a little bit of a chord of fear, or it did in me as a child. We don't want to be the rocky or the thorny soil. I really don't want to be withered up in the sun. That would mean that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't doing enough, that I wasn't Christian enough to produce anything from my meager faith. In either case, we can easily make the parable all about us and not about the sower at all. So why do we do that? Well, I can tell you personally, it's because I always want to know unequivocally where I stand with God. I want to know that I'm in the right place with God. But focusing on the soil in the implied metaphor, it's not a bad thing but it's certainly not the only angle of the gemstone. This parable is a both and. It's a parable that begins with the sower and ends with the soil, but never separates one from the other. After all, our focus should never be solely on us, but on us in relation to our creator, to God. The soil is meaningless without the sower. The context of today's story is actually really important too. The telling of the story. The telling of the story takes place at the sea, not on a farm as in the story. Jesus goes down and sits at the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And I really love this. It's just, it's so human. It's something that we would do if we were at the beach, unless you're one of those people who hate sand. I'm really sorry for you. I love it, I could just wallow in it. So he goes and he sits down at the shore, maybe just to listen to the water, maybe just to have that peace that comes with experiencing God's creation. But pretty quickly, a big crowd gathers around him. And I'm not really sure if Jesus was just claustrophobic or if he felt like he could get a better, you know, a better listen on his sermon. But whatever the case, he's, they're crowding him. So he goes out, sits in a boat, and begins to talk to them there. He doesn't say, okay, folks. 
here's how I want you to act, here's what I want you to do, here's what is right, here's what is wrong. Instead, he says, listen up. There was a sower, in some translations, farmer, and he went out to plant his crops. As he's planting, much of the seed falls here and there, but specifically, as you heard in the scripture, on the path, on the soil, with little nutrient, probably kind of shallow, on rocky ground, among thorns, and finally, some good soil that produces grain. And he closes the parable how he began. If you have ears, some translations say, that are willing to hear, listen. Can you hear me now? I didn't grow up on a farm, but we lived way out in what I would call a rural area. It's not so rural now. Almost smack dab in between Montevallo and Calera. It, it's nothing like it, it is today with shopping centers and houses and neighborhoods. And my dad was a really avid gardener because we lived on several acres of land. Before he figured out this thing called square foot gardening, which was fantastic, it involved putting your garden in a little square container to maximize efficiency in growing, he used to just plant in rows. So on Saturday mornings, after cartoons, of course, I would go out to the garden to find him planting and often help him. So he would take the opposite end of a, a hoe or a rake, like the end that you hold, and he would flip it upside down, and he would use that round end to walk down the row to make a little hole. And then I would follow behind him and put one little seed from the packet he'd given me in each little hole behind him. Of course, he had told me why we do this, because you have to put the seeds a certain distance apart and only put one seed in each little hole so that they don't grow up and smooch each other out and not have room for the plants and the fruits and vegetables to grow and flourish. The farmer in today's parable is not so careful. There's no precision in the seed planting, no soil preparation or analysis, no propagation of plants, no placement of fertilizer, no planned out pattern of planting, no preliminary plowing or plotted calculation of risk and reward. He almost just seems to walk out with a whole handful of seed that he can't even hold in two palms and it just falls out as he walks out to the garden. So why do we think a sower would waste time and resources planting seeds like that? Seeds that likely he's looking at the soil, he feels the rocks under his feet, wouldn't even take hold, wouldn't grow, and wouldn't flourish. Well, likely he probably wouldn't especially in that day and age. The farming environment in the Holy Land, if you've ever been there, is rather harsh. It is much like what is described in the parable, rocky, thorny. Now, this is not a rip on the Holy Land, but it's an obvious fact that the people that Jesus was speaking to 
would have been familiar with and would have understand. Life was very difficult. It was often lived out of scarcity and survival. Can I make it through the next winter? Will I have food to eat that I myself have grown? Yet the sower continues to spread the seed extravagantly. You see, and this is, was kind of an aha moment for, for me, so I'm going to take you there with me. The parable itself illustrates the dynamic it describes. It's not just something Jesus dreamed up. Okay, connect with me here. Can you hear me now? Give me a nod. No. Go back to Jesus standing in the boat and the context. When Jesus stood in the boat telling this parable, he is the sower. He is the one spreading seed, casting the word widely among the large, large crowd as he is speaking. We imagine the crowds Jesus had already preached to before this day. He hopes for a positive response every time he preaches or teaches, but instead he witnesses many turning a deaf ear, a blind eye, to his message of salvation. One day, as he's walking, as he was wont to do, he's thinking about this as he watches a farmer sowing the seed. He sees the birds come and take some of the seed immediately away. He sees previously sown swords, seeds, so many S's today, previously sown seeds as they're scorched by the sun overhead at noonday. He sees other plants trying to grow up through the thorny bushes that are choked. Then he remembers. He remembers the faces maybe even the names of all those people he's been talking to. Some who respond and continue to follow him on this journey. Some whose response was short-lived and whose faith was short-lived. He sees many of the people standing on the shore, and as he speaks, even as he speaks, they turn away and start to walk elsewhere. They have other things to do, other errands to run, other chores to do that are more important than what he has to say. Even in the telling of this parable is Jesus' recognition that many he teaches will never embody the life that he promises. He extols this to his closest friends, the disciples. He quotes the prophet Isaiah just a few verses later. You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes so that they might not look with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and they turn where I would heal them. But you, he says to his friends, you, blessed are your ears, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. 
Matthew sets this parable in a prominent position. It is the very first of seven parables that follow in this gospel. It's the opening act for the rest that set the scene and the tone. We're meant to listen, not just to hear, but to consider, to ponder, to take to heart what Christ is saying. Can you hear me now, he says? But we're far from those fields, aren't we? Very few of us are farming any land. We don't know a whole lot about the sower. My memory of farming is long ago. So how do we understand this parable? Understand this parable that's about understanding. Well, understanding demands that we first see ourselves as inside the story. Not just reading this ancient text from long ago, but inside the story. If we aren't able to do that, even those of us who regularly attend church and Bible studies and help with missions will be unable to allow this gospel that he preaches to transform our lives. It is in this way that we can begin to do more than merely hear, but to transform. In the metaphor Jesus sets up, most of us, believe it or not, I know you'll be shocked by this, are more than one kind of soil at one time. The parable is nice and neat. You're either good or bad, but life is a good bit messier than that. There are areas, there are times in our life when we're deeply faithful. We want nothing more than to walk with God, to do the will of God, and yet in other places, there are barriers. We seek security, we seek love, we seek comfort, we seek status in all the wrong things, in all the wrong places. Walt Whitman was right when he said of humanity, we contain multitudes. We constantly contradict ourselves. To quote our former bishop, Will Willimon, the church is a mess, and it's full of all sorts of people. And I think I would add, the church is a mess full of all sorts of messy people, just like me. But much of our mess comes from hearing and not understanding, as Christ is talking to us about today, from refusing to trust in the abundance of the sower. Our God is a God of muchness. He wants us not to just take the love, but he wants us to live in the love. Any ability we have to produce grain or whatever that might mean for us, living a holy life, demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit, embodying the way of Christ, making God's kingdom more visible wherever we go, these things are only possible when we live out of the abundance of the the sower, not in a spirit of scarcity, not in a spirit of fear. When we're guided by the sense of scarcity and fear, we turn to other things. To be truthful, we turn to anything, you name it, drugs, alcohol, food, our favorite talking heads on cable news or radio, blogs, social media, streaming TV, shopping, gossiping, judging, whatever we can do to numb, to comfort, to control, 
to maintain power and order and our way in our life at all costs. After all, it would be a way different parable if the sower had carefully doled out the seed, only placing it in the most fertile soil like most farmers and even eight-year-old me tried to do. Jesus doesn't even use the parable, though, to exhort hearers to be good soil, as though we could make that happen on our own. Okay, and this is where the final understanding, I think, takes place. If there's any hope for that unproductive soil, which we know a little bit about, it's that the sower keeps sowing generously, extravagantly, even in the least promising places. As Jesus begins speaking from the boat, he demonstrates time after time, as he has before, that he will not, he will never give up on us. He will not give up on his people despite failings, despite hardness of heart, whether they hear or don't hear, God is going to give the love anyway. Even in the face of widespread belief, when Jesus is surrounded by opportunists and thorns enough to crown a crucified sower, he believes enough in the goodness of God to spread that love with abandon. Can you hear me now, he says. We trust, we trust that he will not give up on us either, but we'll keep working on whatever it is in us that needs the help, that is hardened or rocky or thorny or just needs some love. We trust in his promise to be with us to the ages. We trust that regardless of what is going on with us or however bleak the view of the world may be, that God will bring forth an extravagant crop, an abundant, luxurious harvest unlike anything we've ever seen, even from our barren and desert places. Can you hear me now, he says. I heard a writer describe the extravagance of the sower in a way I thought was beautiful. There is an absurdity interwoven into the story itself, a beautiful absurdity that somehow expresses what God is and what God's reign is like. Today and each day, let us be transformed by the grace that can happen in the mystery of God's abundance, despite all our efforts to direct it. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? God, today we recognize that your son Jesus spread your love so many years ago even as he sat in a boat and tried to convince people of his way. 
God, we are thankful that you sent your son, Christ. We are thankful that he does not give up on us. God, we are thankful that you are Lord of all that you are in control of the abundance of the world and we need not fear or worry or live in scarcity. God, thank you for the blessings you bestow upon us each and every day. Amen.